0: I'm Chris.
1: And I'm Chris. And I'm Chris, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet where you can hear topics discussed. So since there are so many Chrises on the show, I'm gonna go by Jim, uh, and Chal, you go by Chal. Yeah. So, Chris, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug?
0: Well, at the risk of sounding like a corporate shill, I suppose, the thing that we're working on at work is actually really cool. It's called the Core Editor, and it's a Really cool way of putting together games very quickly and putting them online for people to share very easily. And it has baked in multiplayer as a first-class feature. And I think it's really rad. It turns out it's really fun to be able to make multiplayer games very quickly and then throw them at people and have them able to play them within like five minutes. That's my plug.
1: That does sound
2: pretty cool.
0: And I like it not just because I'm a corporate shill.
2: That's the important thing. Uh, Chal, what about you? Do you have anything to plug? Sure. Yeah, I'm Chris. I'm a game programmer and I would like to plug an Adventure Escape Room VR thing. So, if you have an Oculus Quest and you know a couple of people who have an Oculus Quest, uh, go to adventurelab.fun and see if you're interested in seeing the show game. Is that is that available now? Can you play it now? It is available in extremely limited quantities. Right. Okay. But it's it's super fun. I highly recommend. Luckily, not many people listen to this
1: show. Perfect. Also, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm getting like 70 bucks an episode on the Patreon.
2: Nice. That's not bad. That's probably more than, than most podcasts get. It It really is.
1: All right. You guys ready for some topics? Yes, sir.
0: I was born ready for some topics.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, Chris, your topic here is Wikipedia descriptions of fighting game stories.
0: Okay. So this is based on a conversation I had about... So Wikipedia is pretty great. Like, it has a lot of information and stuff, <laughs> right? And it tries to dispense that information in a clinical, dispassionate tone, which leads to some real hilarity when, you're, when it's trying to describe, like, ridiculous stories. So consider... Street Fighter V, which is set between 4 and 3, where M. Bison is depicted with gray hair. Shadaloo enacts a plan known as Operation Chains, in which seven artificial satellites, known as the Black Moons, are constructed to cause various cities around the world to lose power, thereby creating commotion, which fuels Bison's psycho power due to negative emotions. When the plan (laughs) is ultimately foiled... A resurrected Charlie sacrifices himself to weaken Bison, leaving Ryu to fight him one last time. After a fierce battle, Ryu finishes Bison once and for all with the power of nothingness. In a twisted irony, Bison laughs as his body corrodes until he finally fades for good, leaving only his Shadowlu cap to be buried within Shadowlu's underground base. After his death, Bison was now Phantom Bison, a ghost empowered by Psycho Power. (laughs)
1: Okay, okay, so this is very good, but counterpoint, is this just anime?
0: So, counter counterpoint, <laughs> Wikipedia descriptions of anime, or even like popular movies, are roughly equally entertaining.
2: Okay. You, you know that that one was straight from Wikipedia because it contained the word thereby? <laughs>
0: <laughs> also, I skipped over the two footnotes.
2: Could you put... You can't put a video trailer in a book footnote, can you? Is that legal? <laughs> like a YouTube link?
0: You do occasionally see Reddit posts where somebody has a a, a textbook where someone obviously was kind of lazy about copying pages, and so they will be like a where, where the content clearly came from a web page. Down to like there being an embedded movie in the middle of a book with like a little play icon.
2: Can't press that. You can try.
0: You can try. You can press it, but you know.
1: I remember seeing a short story um written in the era where this uh stylization made sense where um there was it was written on it was on paper, but there were just these occasionally there would be uh text in blue with an underline. <laughs> in the in the book? In the book. It's just like to imply that there's more to this.
0: <laughs> oh that kind of underline. I thought you meant the kind of was pointing out their grammar errors.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the squiggly red, yeah. That's actually really good, too. I would love to see that in a book as well. I think underlined blue in a book means that you can find it on Wikipedia. Okay, that makes sense. So, I played, um, I don't play fighting games that much, but I played Soul Calibur Six because I had to.
0: That happened to a lot of us, I think.
1: In what sense? Uh, It was an assignment for um, when I was recording video games hot dog. Okay.
0: So, self-inflicted then?
1: I mean, I didn't pick Soul Calibur Six, but I was on the podcast on purpose. Okay, and I just remember um, playing the story mode, and the the writers had to come up with narrative justification for like five hundred one on one fights in a row, and it was <laughs> just like immediately deteriorated into like there was one where I so I just kicked a guy off a cliff. And then there immediately opens up a dialogue box where he offers me cakes.
0: (laughs) I mean, can't say no to cakes. (laughs)
1: Uh, I've got a screenshot here. Thank you. As a sign of our new friendship, how about one of Ling Sheng Su's famous cakes? Nice. No one should fight on an empty stomach. And this was because they had to like, this was the fight where they introduced the inventory mechanics and the food mechanics. Okay. Uh, So.
2: That's crazy. What, is that? what does that look like on Wikipedia, that scene?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I hope they have all 500 cutscenes. <laughs> I found out a while ago that the, um, do you remember Blaster Master, the NES game?
0: Oh, yeah. The- you found giant frogs in a
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the story of that game is that you're, as you probably remember.
0: Looking for your dog.
1: It's a frog. It's a frog.
0: Wait, it's a frog? I thought it was your dog.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's rhymes with frog, so I understand why you'd be confused.
0: And it's much more much more interesting to you as a result.
1: Well yes, because like the first boss is a frog, which is just did I just murder my own frog? But then the frog is in your frog is in the ending cutscene.
0: It's a different frog.
1: So your frog leaps across the yard, hops onto a box marked radioactive, <laughs> grows to massive size, and then jumps down a hole that you also had in your backyard.
0: No. As one does. As one does.
1: You follow it down the hole and there's a tank down there and you get in the tank to search for your frog. Frog, Fraction, frog Fraction Zero? I, could, I can't say it wasn't an influence because I loved that game. So, this is only in the American version of the game. In the, uh, in the Japanese version of the game, it's just like people are at war in the post-apocalypse and that's the story basically. Whoa. And then you're, the tank is actually just like you're fighting the opposing army in your new tank. Um, Here's
0: some tanks. And which
1: makes me wonder, like, is, is wacky anime, did they is that a front? Is that like is all wacky anime like some some shit they do for Americans because it it amuses us?
0: Well, further support for this, there's an old NES game that was structured kind of like Mega Man. Might have been called Totally Rad. Let me see. Yes. That was, I think, the one. The story of the So my friend Andrew. <laughs> who you may know as providing the original English translation of Cave Story, um, had an interest in, like, weird video game translation stories. And he looked this one up, and it was, it was kind of surreal. Um, because the Japanese—so the game is structured kind of like Mega Man, except you are a wizard instead of a robot. But you still go and you, like, beat up people and you get uh, magic spells— and you had this like weird wizard man who would teach you magic lessons.
1: So is totally rad. The one where you're like on rollerblades wearing a helmet.
0: Probably not. Totally rad is the one here. I'm got to post an image in the Discord. and I should clear things up.
1: This may be this may be part of the American
2: localization. What is behind this person? It's like a a, a purple or is that a frog head? Like a floating Buddha.
0: I think that's a surprise.
2: Because <laughs> it says on the bottom, Jake has been attacked by surprise.
0: That's my reading of it.
2: This this parses. Jake is a, a very well-rendered uh, boy in the front. Probably a teen of some sort.
0: <laughs> Surprisingly well-rendered, really.
2: Yeah, actually.
0: When it comes down to it. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is the game itself in Japan was a relatively uninspired game about, like, you're a wizard apprentice and you go and beat up a bunch of people in a magic kingdom and... That's it but then when they were localizing it, uh, I should really bug Andrew for the full story about this again. he used to he actually documented it on a web page that then went away um, because that's what happened to web pages in the 90s but the localizers basically turned the protagonist into like a surfer dude and changed all the dialogue in these cutscenes to have copious use of like rad and gnarly and dude. And they changed your, like, wizard mentor to be this weird, kooky, hippie guy. And they still had the thing, like, when you get to the end and beat the evil wizard swordman, then it's revealed that there's a secret underground race, and your mentor is one of them, and you've freed them from the overlord, and now he's going to go home, and it's great, and also you get to make out with the girl you rescued. Now that we bring it up, the girl, like, okay, here's what the girl looked like in the Japanese version. Here's what she looked like in... The American version.
2: So, image one is a, I don't know, it's like a portrait of a girl.
0: A very generic anime girl, kind of.
1: She looks like she might have toast in her mouth as she runs the school.
0: Meanwhile, the American one is very different.
1: Yeah, it's like, she's got, like, she's aged 10 years.
0: She's got, like, a, a better haircut.
2: Metal F. And asking about totally rad magic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Also, here's our good friend Jake in the American version, as seen being shot by surprise a few moments ago. And here's what he looked like in the Japanese version. Wow. For our viewers at home, he looks kind of like, I don't know, if Astro Boy were a mailman. I don't know, I'm not really sure how to describe him, but he's, he's not as cool looking.
1: Yes. Yeah, not not by uh, American 90s standards anyway.
0: Yeah, the other two look look like they could could have come straight out of like a like a 90s movie like The Last Dragon, which is the most 90s of movies. Right. The Japanese ones, I don't know. But anyway, I bring this up because this is exactly what you're talking about, except this is in reverse. Like the Japanese version was weird anime nonsense. The American version was this bizarre surfer fantasy about changing from a surfer to be a wizard.
2: As one does. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to throw
0: one more image in here just because I think it's hilarious and then I'm done talking about Totally Rad.
2: Zap. This is the other version of Jake being attacked by our friend Surprise.
1: Same body positioning, different scarf. The climax of the story about Blastermaster is that those two uh, timelines, the one where a frog jumps down a hole and there's a post-apocalyptic war, are merged in the new Blaster Master for Switch. Oh, really? <laughs> they're they're both canonical.
0: I'm really glad they managed to maintain continuity because that was my biggest concern. Of uh... imagine <laughs> making
2: an entire game just just because you wanted to merge those timelines. It's like this has been bothering me for years. I have to make an entire game just to tie it all together.
0: <laughs> We're going to fix this.
1: <laughs> are you guys ready for another topic? Yes. Sure. Chal, uh, your topic here is—is is there a 21st century version of the thank you note? Yeah,
2: so this is something I was thinking about a little while ago, um, and also since these record a decent amount before they're released, uh, I was thinking about this like after Christmas, in my like late thank you note writing. I was like, why am I writing on paper made of trees with a pen? And it's 2020. I mean, are you are you is it because you're writing for old people? Well, yeah, partially, but you know, I always like. I also write them to, like, my brothers and stuff. But I was like, I can't think of anything new that serves the same purpose of this that is also as good. Like, you can't just send an email and be like, thanks for $20 or whatever.
1: Wait, wait, you're writing people thank you notes for just dollar bills they give you?
0: If they give the least possible effort to your gift, then you can give them the least possible effort for the thank you.
1: <laughs> no, it's for real
2: gifts. But it's, like, like it's very different to write... It's different to write a note than to write an email, just because writing a note is like vastly more effort than an email.
1: Well, yeah, and I think that's the that's the big part of it. Like, if you in, maybe if you did a jam game, <laughs> you could do like a, a Pico Eight game to thank them for their for their for their present. Yeah,
2: oh, there we that, go. That'd be super cool. But now now it's flipped the other way where that takes like a hundred times. 100 times
1: more work. Oh yeah, now they, then then they have to make a AAA game to write it to thank you for the jam game.
0: <laughs> you know, you're joking, but I've basically fallen into exactly this trap. It, it, it wasn't thank you notes. It was birthday cards and Mother's <laughs> Day cards and things like that. But I was terrible at convincing myself to like go to the store and buy cards for specific events, and then come up with something meaningful to write in them. But I also was a game developer, and had Flash, and was more interested in writing games and than thank you notes, so I would write like these gamelet things that would be like, oh, here's a birthday cake, and like it has a bunch of little candles, and the mouse cursor makes them flicker and move away from it, as though you are blowing while clicking... And you have to blow in all the candles. And then when you do like the cake explodes into a particle system that forms the words Happy Birthday Mom or something oh, like that. That's cool. And I would do this for like everything because I <laughs> didn't want to bother going to the store and getting something, but I felt like like you say, like it has to it has to be something. I can't just send an email or else it's like I don't even care. So I have to expend effort on their mm-hmm. behalf.
2: That's cool. Do you still do that?
0: No. Absolutely
2: no. not. I mean, it sounds like a lot of work. That's the thing. It's like a note is more than zero work, but it's not much more than zero work.
0: The big difference here is that this was something that I enjoy doing more than I enjoy sitting with a pen and paper and trying to make legible marks on it. <laughs> um, you know, it's not like I spent huge amounts of time on any of them. They were cards. They weren't like magnum opera, which it turns out is the plural of magnum really? opus. I learned. Um, indeed. Well, Still... Well, the other advantage was I could do them like the night before and not worry about them not getting yeah. there on time, which was actually kind of a important yeah. thing.
2: My, right? Yeah, I write thank you notes like two months late minimum, so <laughs> I don't I don't know if I'm doing yeah. more harm than good by sending them.
0: He kind of reminds them at that point. Oh yeah, I guess I guess he never did send me anything, the ingrate, until <laughs> <but laughs> yeah, now exactly a fortnight later
2: oh yeah what about jim do you have like insight on this wasn't wasn't there some kind of like e-card thing that happened and then immediately went
1: away that so for a while i would get occasionally um yeah e-cards for christmas in fact i probably still have them unread in my gmail inbox let me so let me search for e-card and see what comes up jackie lawson oh that's um i have no idea what that is Jackie Lawson.com that still exists. You can still send any e card. Oh, that's cool. All right. I got to punch it in. They used to be flash animated, like just what you'd find at a Hallmark aisle, except animated. Aww. And now I don't know what they are. Like, hopefully they're still flash and will stop working in December.
0: <laughs> hopefully there will be a purge. <laughs> Mine just
2: loaded and I didn't even have to. Whoa. Oh, it's just a video.
1: Oh, okay, <laughs> now they just redirect you to YouTube.
0: See, now we're back into, like, that the laziest possible thing. Yeah. We're back in the lazy land.
1: I was thinking about what other things, like, do people appreciate that you put, like, you can make a mixtape? Oh, that's fun. The modern version of which is a YouTube playlist. I feel like I should know that. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'll go with that. Dropping the hottest YouTube playlist of the summer's 2020.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the summer jams. All of my playlists are on Google Play Music, thus no one can listen to them. Well, maybe it's better that way. Oh, no.
0: I have this bad habit of making playlists out of uh, just on YouTube out of things that I like, except the things that I like are invariably taken down later due to copyright strikes, because that's the world (laughs) we live in. Yeah. And that's not the annoying part. The annoying part is that then I go to my list, and I'm like, I should listen to some tunes. And I'm looking at the, the playlist, and there'll just be these sad little, like, I don't know, TV icons with static behind them and a message saying, this video was removed. But the problem is it doesn't tell me what video it was.
1: Right. And
0: yep. Maybe two thirds the time, I have no idea. Like sometimes they hit something I and I remember really liking, and I'm mad, and I have to go try to find another copy of it or be sad that it's just been scoured from the internet somehow. But otherwise, it's just like I forgot something, and I don't know what I forgot. I'm like, is this is this like a digital representation of what it's like to get old? Like yeah. this sucks.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's YouTube is is a, it's a real problem. I don't know if they're trying to if they're trying to adhere to some sort of copyright restriction, that's like even further than you can't have the video, you can't even say what the video was, but it's, it's a big pain in the ass that like, yeah, this, the, in the cases I've seen, it doesn't even show like there's this video is missing on the playlist. It just says at the top that some videos are gone. Oh,
0: oh, that's worse. I haven't noticed that, but that's terrifying. Makes me want to go like back up my YouTube playlist now.
1: Oh no! You if you never go back, you can never find out the, how many things are gone.
0: Yeah, but I can still save some. I can for I can make an arc, a USB drive, and like take two of every genre. Yeah,
2: yeah. Does the Gone YouTube video have a ghost? Yeah,
1: in 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 the noosphere.
0: Does a Gone YouTube video have a color?
1: In much the same way, like if you think of a ghost as like the the memory the collective memory that we all had of a person when they after they die yeah
0: oh the ad profile
1: <laughs> yes the, the the removed YouTube video still has the ad profile it's somewhere in Google's database
0: that is the thing I've wondered sometimes right like we all thought the singularity would would happen and like wow we'll just like put our brains on a weird sci-fi helmet with tubing coming out of us for some reason and it'll upload us into the computer and we'll be max headroom and it'll be great. And I wonder sometimes, like maybe that already happened and we didn't notice it, except not as like we'll just digitize your brain, but just we'll just get an advertising profile of you so well defined that we can—it'll just predict exactly what you'd do in any circumstance. And at that point, isn't that basically you? You just let it run, and now it's off being you somewhere.
1: Yes, it's off making the purchases that you would make.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just hook that up to, like, the internet and I can just sit on the couch and not bother with the internet or ads and just send me the things that I want. Someone
2: keeps using my credit card but also paying it on time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my word, he's got a job.
1: (laughs) I went to work and nobody remembered who I was. I can't remember where I heard this idea, but I, I still have in my head the idea of you start going into the office wearing a gorilla costume... And over time, you start acting more and more like a gorilla, and eventually, you just send a gorilla in to do your job.
0: (laughs) I feel like there are faster ways of getting out of work and/or getting fired, but
2: I want to. I feel like the gorilla has to be a part of this plan in any of them, just because it's so good. Like, what if you do that? But then the gorilla is better
1: than you were. What do you do then? Well, you just keep collecting the paychecks. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, then you do the thing that we just talked about, right? Like you subcontract at your job for the gorilla.
1: Right. So what you'd have to do nowadays is you would use the gorilla filter on Zoom to have your face be a gorilla at all times.
0: No, you'd use the gorilla filter on you'd use the gorilla filter on Zoom on the gorilla, just so instead of looking oh. like a gorilla, it looks like someone trying to look like a gorilla. <laughs>
2: okay. It's an unbreakable code. <laughs>
0: I learned this trick from the double disappearance of Walter Fosbeck, which is a book in like sixth grade about a kid who wakes up in dinosaur world.
1: And then vanishes?
0: Well, what happened is like there's there's dino- theres parallel dino world, and then there's like regular world. Oh my god. And the kid wakes up and like everyone's a dinosaur, and he's like, what the heck? And gradually he finds out that he fell out of the human world into dinosaur world, and the him in dinosaur world fell into human world because both of them have a neighbor who's a mad scientist. They need <laughs> disguises
2: Like a parallel neighbor.
0: Yeah, so so to disguise the kid as a dinosaur, they just put him in, like, dinosaur football gear. But to disguise the dinosaur kid as a human, they, like, put Play-Doh on his horns and stuff and make him look like a cosplayer. I thought that was really clever. So that trick has (laughs) stayed with me in case I ever need it. That's good. You never know when you'll wake up in Dinosaur World.
1: That does sound
2: effective. Like, it'd be hard on Zoom because there's probably not a human filter that works on non-human faces.
0: Yeah, probably not.
2: I guess they do, you could do like a face swap with your cat with terrifying results.
0: <laughs> just make something disquieting enough they don't notice the gorilla. It's like those psychology experiments where you're like counting the basketball passes and don't notice the gorilla walking behind. Yeah. Just like have yeah. like a Snapchat filter with your cat looking like something out of, I don't know, Geiger and just trust they won't notice the gorilla.
1: You could also use the the age filters to look like an extremely young or extremely old gorilla. <laughs>
0: yeah like you say they're probably calibrated for people so would it interpret the gorilla entirely wrong and make some like horrible yeah like attempt to make a human like oh this look at this fuzzy human that's clearly all beard hair i will try to model what it must look like under that hair or something i can imagine that going off the way the rails treats the
2: nostrils as eyes (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah I wonder if you could stack filters, like, like you know the old game where you take, like, you take some phrase and translate it with Google Translate, like, from <laughs> oh, yeah. several different languages. Oh yeah, yeah. Just to see how bizarre it comes out. I wonder if you could do that with with Snapchat filters. Like, start with like, all right, well, this is my human to elephant <laughs> filter, and now I've got this filter that like face swaps that I use now with the elephant and something else, and now I apply like the ham- the pirate filter. Or-
1: I'm gonna just guess you can't do that, but what you could do is have two people snapchatting each other who are in the same room and they just take a photo of the other of the image on the other one's phone and then apply the snapchat filter to that
0: oh uh, yeah. yeah right like clearly there's clearly there's a way of making it of chaining them even if you have to like make some of the connections yourself
1: right and i, th- I think that the 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 weird like lcd artifacts and the the frame of the phone me going around the edge would be a fun part of the the, the effect of chaining them. <laughs>
2: Is that kind of like having a like an Instagram pedal board <laughs> if you chain these things together? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I can only... I feel like this has to have been done because like doing it like you say, like, you know, just passing the pictures through different things, it's not easy, but it wouldn't take that long and it probably has horrifying results, but I don't know, you have like you know, shoegaze bands or whatever where the guitar just sounds like a wall of sound and maybe your face can look like a wall of gorilla or what have you.
1: (laughs) A wall of visual.
0: I like wall of gorilla. I'm going to go with that one. There's just something about a wall of solid gorilla.
1: Sometimes you just have to go with the wall of gorilla. Which
2: I envision looks like a thwomp and a gorilla.
0: Just a big, angry, fuzzy head. (laughs) That's also square.
2: (laughs) Oh, God.
0: What have you brought?
2: <laughs> Jim, can you please take us to another topic?
1: <laughs> you know, let's Okay, let's do another topic. Uh, so my topic here is, I'm pretty sure I could write a book about anything.
0: How about Gorilla Swamp? <laughs> Go!
1: <laughs> hey, I didn't say on the podcast. So what happened here was... I was talking to a friend who also named Chris, by the way,
0: yeah, uh, Legion.
1: who was He does a lot of freelance work. And one of the things he's doing is I didn't even really get a sense of what the project was, but I got the sense that it's like a, it's a comedy audio snippet thing where he has to write 20 paragraphs about a topic. And then he he reads them.
0: He said this is a project, but are you sure he didn't say this is English class?
1: Well, he's getting paid for it.
0: Okay, so that's like reverse college.
1: Right. And so, like, I was like, I could do that. I, I would write, I'm going to write 20 paragraphs about skateboard tricks. And he was like, I'll pay you 20 bucks.
0: That's like a dollar a paragraph for about skateboard tricks. That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um what I didn't get, uh, like I, the part of the prompt that I hadn't internalized was that I thought this was supposed to be informative. And so I was just like, yes, I'm meticulous research, research all these skateboard tricks and write about them. Uh, and it was still written in a comedic tone because that's just my default. Yeah. Uh, but it's supposed to be, it was supposed to be a comedy.
0: Uh,
1: have you gotten $20? I did get the 20 bucks.
0: Then the entire operation is a success.
1: <laughs> right, right. So what he told me was that don't spend more than 20 minutes on it, because, or otherwise you're wasting your time. I ended up spending like an hour and a half but, um, writing, it was it was 20, um, 20 paragraphs, each 100 words. And it was like an intro and an outro, and then 18 individual skateboard tricks that I described.
0: And now you know what a kickflip is.
1: Uh, well, I knew that one already, but I found out what the dolphin flip is.
0: Okay, you can tell us. We're not going to pay you though.
1: It's a, it's a flip where you rotate at 180 degrees on both axes, but you do all of the flipping with your front foot. So unlike the, the varial kick flip in which you do one of the 180 degrees with your front foot and the other one with your rear foot, this one, you do all the work with your front foot. Whoa, that sounds incredibly hard.
0: That sounds intense.
1: It, it, it looks incredibly hard. Um, my point was that like I wrote 2000 words in an hour and a half and it's all like actual content about about this subject and all I have have to do to write that a book would be to do that like 30 or 40 more times I could write a book in a week
0: I think you'd run out of skateboard tricks
1: I yeah well I could I could come up with like maybe it could be a book about things that rotate (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh boy. That's a big topic. There's a lot of things that rotate.
0: Yeah, I can see at least 6 from where I'm sitting. I would imagine that this
2: would like, you know, there's something called a game jam where you make a game in 48 hours or a week. But then a lot of times people are like, "Oh, I'm going to turn this this game into like a full game," which I feel like is the equivalent of turning a $20 writing project into a book. But then that takes like 3 years and it looks like it looks different, but you know the the heart is still in there. It's still recognizable at the end.
0: So I guess is National Novel Writing Month kind of like a book a book game jam?
2: Yeah. It yeah, very much so. Yeah, and and, and even more similar way to game jams um, for me is that every time National Wri- National Novel Writing Month comes around, I'm like, I should do that, and then don't. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean to be fair, I I went to game jams very religiously for a while, and then I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if I just got burned out on them, or just wasn't feeling them anymore, or just the quality of them went down. But I just I kind mean, of stopped.
1: I stopped going to game jams when I started doing professional projects that were basically game jams already. That makes sense. That that tracks. And then after I was done with Frog Fractions Two. Like, game jams kind of just fell off the radar for everybody. Like, there's... I, I, I don't know of a lot of events that are happening that have physical locations. Like, for a couple of years, there was really kind of all the rage, at least in the Bay Area, to to do jams in a, in a physical place, like, sponsored by... Uh,
0: I mean, Global Game Jam happened, like, a month ago. That has a physical place.
1: Yeah, I guess that one has multiple physical places. So, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just... Me, the one who has burned out and has a kid now, so can't just, like, take all weekend and do something.
0: I mean, I assume you're both familiar with the game that that guy made, basically, by consulting his daughter for how everything should be in this wonderful game about kittens and unicorns.
1: And I'm sure that's going to start happening as Winston gets older, but right now he's 18 months, not really, not really capable of that sort of thing yet. Maybe you could uh, use that technique to write your book
0: yeah
2: just use winston as the source of of
0: everything (laughs) structure yeah
1: question mark you know right right so the book would be words like poop and ball and bath and meow and then super
2: deep dives
0: (laughs) i want to pre-order this i guess also i mean ax cop i mean this isn't without precedent Having a child is like being able to just tap directly into like an id without having to go through drugs or anything. Gonna gonna have to wait a bit. They'll they'll grow and and discover axes and cops. It's just part of nature, like leaves turning to fall. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was a very exasperated. Yeah, you're like, yep, they sure grow. <laughs>
1: I had just taken a sip of a beverage, okay. so that that may have affected my tenor. <laughs> Uh, you guys ready for another topic? Yep. So this is a write-in. Kevin asks, "Tom Nook, robber baron, or captain of industry?" Um, I have a response, which is, "Is there a difference?" <laughs> I think that's a fair
2: question. That's
0: a re- reasonable. Reasonable.
2: <laughs> Tom Nook is very friendly and has taken
1: a lot of my money. And
2: also (laughs) still asks me to help him do stuff, so.
1: Yeah, Tom Nook, uh, for those unfamiliar, Tom Nook is your landlord in Animal Crossing. He's actually everybody's landlord, at least in the new one, I think. Are your co-villagers also paying rent to Tom Nook? Is he
2: a slumlord? I mean, I don't know how much rent they're paying because like in this one... Like, he made me buy my house, and then he was like, Hey, can you go pick up a bunch of stuff so that you can build, so that I can build everyone else's house? (laughs) And I was like, Yeah, I will, because I have no choice, and because I want to, because I love you.
0: (laughs) You can't stay mad at him. He has a raccoon, so he's got artificially large eyes.
2: I mean, he's a tanuki, right? Is that a raccoon, or is that different?
0: I think there is technically a, a different. It's like a weird. Raccoon dog thing, like I think they're more dogs than raccoons. I don't
2: know. Aww. I looked it up once. That's cute.
0: I think it's not exactly a raccoon.
2: It's a dog with
1: five fingers, maybe.
0: Also, a little apron and a store, <laughs> and a lot of money, and a whole lot of bells.
1: In the new one, uh Tom Nook, like you, you can pay off your first loan for for your initial house by like basically just it, doing like civic engagement. You can pay, talk to your neighbors and that gets you nook miles Then you can like clean up weeds around the yard and you can like chop, tr- chop down trees or gather fruit or like sell stuff or buy stuff. And these all contribute to your nook miles.
0: Are nook miles like shroot bucks?
1: Well, I they think the, the, they're trying to be like air, airline miles.
0: Or like Stanley Nichols.
1: Right. Well, there's also the other currency, which is bells, um, you can pay off your loan. Your first loan in in Nook Miles, but then after that, you have to pay in Bells. And the <laughs> the thing that's nice about the new Animal Crossing that wasn't true in previous ones, as far as I know, is that in the last one I played, as soon as you paid off your loan, you were suddenly in debt again because he went and built you a bigger house, and you didn't really you didn't have a choice to not have the bigger house if you were happy with it. I guess you could j- just not have paid paid off the loan, but then you'd be in debt forever.
0: Like, this is an interesting framing, right? Like, you could just – you could easily look at this as he's offering to buy – he'll – when you meet his threshold of money, he'll buy you a new house. Like, you could easily view it as you're buying bigger houses from him. But they've chosen to frame it as you owe him for your existing house, and then when that's paid off, a new one shows up along with the corresponding debt. That's
1: (laughs) – I wonder
0: why they did that. Like, that's – like, they're the same – actions is it motivation is they want to make sure that you feel like you need to keep playing and getting him money and thus seeing the cooler and bigger houses as you progress i think that's a really important design choice
2: i think in the original one he didn't ask you but at least in the the one for the 3ds he would ask you but it's but it's like you say it's a non-choice even if he does ask you yeah it's like do you want to be done with this game or not
0: <laughs> i mean is animal crossing a game people really play because they feel like they're going to to win it? No. I don't play it. I So, I, I don't have a whole lot of insight here. I just
2: It's like possible to 100%-ish kind of, but it's like really hard because there's just like a million different things, like little subcategories that you can, you know, collect all the pieces of. Like you can catch all the bugs or fish or like get all of the sets of, of furniture that are... And there's like all these different
1: ones.
0: It feels like trying to 100% Minecraft or Photoshop. Yeah.
1: Totally. Photoshop. (laughs) Listen, you just select all and then fill it with black and you're done.
0: No, no, I've almost unlocked the radial blur filter.
2: (laughs) You know, one big problem with Photoshop and other Adobe products is that their learning curve is just brutal and that is, (laughs) that's proven by games to be an effective way to ascend a learning curve.
0: There actually was a plugin for a while. It might still exist that added achievements to Visual oh Studio. Oh my
2: gosh! Are you serious?
0: <laughs> oh yes, and they're all and they're all Visual Studio things. Like <laughs> has has used the close all windows except or close all tabs except for this option, or <laughs> saved at least five times without changing anything, or things wow. like that. <laughs> Someone had fun making those.
1: I've also seen a plugin that would add like uh, particle effects to your typing. <laughs> I would do that for sure. <laughs> That'd be awesome.
0: Yeah.
2: My my boss has this email client that when you send an email, it goes like, like it sounds like a rail gun or something and I was like, why do you have this? And he's like, because it's awesome. <laughs>
0: <'Cause> <laughs> I don't understand the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, anyway, back to the original question, Tom Nook is, you know, not a
0: flat character. He's, he's got layers.
2: Both Robert baron and captain of industry. Why not both? Why not both? Well, I think we solved that one. <laughs> <laughs> Next ha- problem. Happy to help. <laughs> I'm probably going to play Animal Crossing the minute we're off this call. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Chal, your, your topic here is melodica purchased online. Yeah, I have it in my
2: hand. It sounds like this. It's amazing. Um, the reason.
0: All right. So what's a, what's a melodica? Let's let me let me back up for a second and just get some sure. Info.
2: So it looks like a tiny keyboard, like a piano keyboard. Uh, the one that I have is a little more than two octaves. It's like thirty-seven keys or something. But it's handheld. It has like a little strap on the back and it has a mouthpiece attached to the the top or like the left side of the keyboard place. And you blow into it. Oh,
0: I think I've seen one of these. the The sound guy that did ga- did audio for my game once had one, and it was they, awesome.
2: Yeah, they're like I don't know. They're like these little plastic things. But I learned about them because I was at somebody's house, and they just like two people brought them to the same party by uh, coincidence. Maybe maybe it wasn't, but
0: it wasn't coordinated. <laughs> they weren't they weren't planning on jamming. They just showed up with the melodica <laughs> and locked eyes from across the yeah, room.
2: It was like super fun. And the cool thing about them is they're like incredibly easy to play because you just like blow into them. Like you don't have to like uh-huh. pick, I don't know, like your sound or whatever, or plug in a computer or like turn it on or anything, you just blow into it and like press keys. The way it works I think is similar to how harmonica works where like the different little holes that you blow in like vibrate little plastic or or, or fiber reeds. Um, I think this one has all plastic reeds but it sounds great. Like it just sounds super good, and it's super easy to play, and I am really happy that I got it because it's like I'm I'm like kind of trying to get more into music over time, and and this is like a really nice tool for that because like the you can literally just pick it up and just start playing on it, and most things that you can play on it just instantly sound good because it sounds great.
0: Yeah, that sounds really cool.
2: Yeah, and this one was it was thirty dollars, which is not like a small amount of money but it's not like something you really have to like plan a long time for probably. Yeah. So yeah. that like as like a kind of introductory instrument, it's like amazing and I wish I knew about knew about this years ago.
0: There's some parallels here. Many years ago, a friend of mine, his mom. This is actually Andrew again. His mom got him a penny whistle for his birthday because, or for Christmas, I think, because he liked Celtic music and he also is like a crazy good violin player or fiddle player, I guess at this point. She got him a penny whistle, and my mom was like, "That sounds like fun! I'll get Christopher one." So I got one also. It has been really amazing for a lot of the reasons you described. Like it's it's cheap. I don't have to worry if it got broken. The cost like nine dollars or something but the big thing is it's super portable which means i can just have it with me at all times if i want it and it's super easy to just like have around and then be like oh i think i'm gonna like just sit and play something because i'm bored and being the thing i've realized is like hobby i get the hobbies that work for me that actually convince me to like keep working at them until I no longer suck at them, but I'm just kind of mediocre, are the ones where I can just, like, have it right there and practice at the drop of a hat because I'm bored or feel like playing something or whatever. Like, everything you just said about the melodica sounds exactly like that, so I think if you're looking for an introductory instrument, that sounds like a, a great one.
2: Is is a penny whistle the same thing as a recorder?
0: No, it's actually like a simpler recorder in a lot of ways. It's... Oh. I'm looking at one right now. It's basically a tube with one, two, three, four, five, six holes of different sizes on the top. Now, recorders have, like, some like
2: 10 holes or something. on the bottom.
0: They've got more holes. They've got some holes at the bottom. They've got that weird hole that's actually, like, two holes in one little spot. Penny whistles don't have any of that nonsense. It's just one thing. You can play about two octaves on them comfortably. You have, like— Wow. Wow no like they're crazy because like the way you change octaves is you just blow harder and so when you're <laughs> starting out like it doesn't seem like you're always afraid to do it because there's this weird psychological thing of like well i don't want to play if i'm playing it wrong i don't want to be loud and have everyone hear it but i need to play it i need to blow harder which makes it louder in order to play this this part of it and so it's very strange um and it takes i think I, having hung out on penny whistle forums which yes are a thing um Apparently everyone goes through this phase and it's just like a thing that everyone has to get around. But yeah, no, it's basically a simpler recorder.
2: I'm looking it up right now. I'm really interested.
0: Let's see here. It sounds it sounds let's see how badly the microphone mangles this.
2: Yes. Yep. So are they, are they tuned to a scale?
0: Yeah, they're fixed they're they're fixed to a scale usually and it's almost always D because that's what all Celtic music is because
2: it's one more than C would be my guess of why
0: <laughs> it's one more than C well I don't know like I if you look up so speaking of Wikipedia Wikipedia actually has a entry for every key on the music scale so if you look up D major in Wikipedia I think it talks about how some composers thought it was the best scale
2: what the heck <laughs> it has the plot lines for each uh, each scale. <laughs>
0: Wikipedia, man, it's got stuff in there. It's
1: got plot lines on plot lines that it shouldn't have. I got for Christmas, Um, I think it was called a mini saxophone or a mini sax. And it sounds basically like exactly like what you described, Chris, except it's got a reed at the end of it.
2: Okay. Huh.
1: Instead of just blowing into it, you have to learn how to vibrate this reed in a specific way that sounds musical.
0: <laughs> huh. That sounds like a barrier.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely not not as easy as a penny whistle.
0: Did, do, Jim,
2: don't you have an automaton also?
0: I was about to ask about that.
1: <laughs> yes, I don't. Know, I must have heard that on an, on this podcast. Yeah, that that one featured the my my automaton playing featured on a previous episode of this show. Nice.
0: I didn't actually know you had one. I was just going to bring it up as another like small, simple instrument with a weird fusion of modern and traditional design.
1: Yeah, that one is. It's still difficult to play because it's microtonal.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's by design, right?
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. Uh, But it's probably... It's certainly easier to get a note out of than the mini sax. Uh, You could hold it like it's a mini sax, probably. You you could. You could just put it in your mouth for some reason.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Just stick it right in there. It
2: has the like little tail thing that looks like a mouthpiece, even though it's not. It does. So... Is, so
0: where's the actual mouthpiece then?
2: No, it's, it's di- the automatone is digital. You're supposed to, you're supposed to French kiss it.
0: Oh, you're talking about automaton. I was thinking of the, I thought you were back on the mini sex. You know, the automaton the is clearly as much designed to delight the audience by making it look like a weird face <laughs> as it is to delight them with your like musical acumen.
1: Right. Like f- to be frank, the face is going to be, unless you're very good, much more delightful than the way, the sound you make. Fair.
0: It sets a high bar.
1: Chris, I, one thing that I seem to remember hearing about the uh, Penny Whistle is that the more expensive ones are flared for some reason. Have you ever tried uh, looking into that?
0: I would say the opposite. The, well, maybe I'm not sure what you mean by flared.
1: Uh, wider at the bottom than at the top.
0: Traditionally, they're cylindrical. So because they're like $9 each, when I was starting out, I decided it'd be fun to just buy like four of them from different places and just try them and see if they were different this and which one I liked. And most of them are cylindrical. And I actually find those super annoying and hard to play basically because of how the harmonics end up working. I think they don't end up being exactly in tune on both octaves. And that's really annoying. Like, and you can compensate, but you have to compensate by like blowing harder or softer to like kind of make it be off key enough to like compensate for the fact that it's also off key from the shape.
1: Oh, interesting. Anyway,
0: some of them, like the ones that I actually really like, which are by a company named Clark, will actually have what's called a conical bore. So the, the shape is actually a, a long cone where it's actually narrower at the end and wider at the top that you're blowing into. So it's like the opposite of flaring out. And Maybe that might be what you're thinking of?
1: That's almost certainly what I'm thinking of.
0: Okay, yeah. And those actually have a different kind of acoustics that I, I find way easier to get moderately pleasing sounds out of. But then the really interesting thing to me... Some of the upper end end ones, uh, I think it's Burke is the company that makes them. Have a high end one that is a s- cylinder, but has a lot of the properties of the cones, which they achieve by putting like struts and shunts in the middle of it to modify the uh, sound without actually having to change the profile.
1: Whoa, that's kind of cool. And is that more? Is that like so you could fit it in your backpack easily or something?
0: I don't really know why I think it's because that's what he was the- that's what the guy that makes them of them to look like, and that was how he could get that while also making them awesome look Right. awesome sounding rather and they do sound really cool, they're also like two hundred dollars
2: right. yeah, I was gonna ask, so none of these penny whistles cost a penny
0: no no bummer, <laughs> not anymore,
2: <laughs> not anymore
1: yeah, back in the eighties though Aeons ago or in the
0: eighties
2: sure yeah. back in the good old days.
1: Uh, Are you um, you guys ready for another topic? Yep. Sure. Chris, your topic here is Ursula Vernon is rad. Tell us about Ursula Vernon.
0: Oh, man, she is rad. Okay. Ursula Vernon is a science fiction and webcomic author who I didn't know anything about until a couple of years ago where a friend of mine sent me several cool science fiction short stories that were on the web. One of them like just was not, I didn't like it all. One of them was like an okay one. And then one of them was like this awesome one about like some kid who goes off to the desert. And like, it's kind of the story. It's kind of the folktale of the kid who like finds a seal and then steals her skin when she's bathing. Cause under their skin, they're actually beautiful human women. And then he like takes her home and marries her. And then, that story. It's a trope. It's in like a bunch of things. Whoa! Um, you'll just have to trust me. It's like a common folklore trope that you go and find an, find an animal and when it undresses and you, you find out it's really a, a hot, sexy chick underneath, then you steal her skin and she has to marry you. Um, <laughs> it's up in a surprising number of cultures is all I'm saying. This short story was basically a retelling and deconstruction of that story, except instead of seals or foxes or snakes, it was jackalopes. He found a jackalope and forced her to marry him, kind of, except things went horribly wrong and then spiraled out of control from there. It was a pretty good story. I liked it a lot. I noted the name of the author and then continued on my way. And then way later was reading some other book that I realized after the fact was, wait, this is the same author as that one. Okay, this one's awesome too. And then I just started finding more and more, more and more books and short stories And things, weird stuff that was associated with her. So there was a fairly popular internet meme where uh, many people used this meme and posted to things like 4chan and forums. It's, for our viewers at home, a giant pear with teeth and the phrase, lol, what, underneath it. There's a reasonable chance you've already seen this somewhere else, uh, just because it actually made it all the way around the internet. Um, and then I found out this was actually made by Ursula Vernon, not the meme, but the fruit.
2: This is horrifying. The the painting of the so fruit. Awesome. The painting
0: of the fruit, which was which is it on her Deviant Art page, which I discovered she had. I believe the title is like the biting pear of Salamanca, and <laughs> it was part of a series of like weird fruits she made that had teeth and other things. And it's actually rather delightful. I had a lot of fun going through it.
2: In in Um, the distance in this picture, I see giraffes. And then even further in the distance, I see some kind of like lighthouse tower thing. I feel like there's so much here.
0: There's so much here. Well, she clearly has a very fertile imagination. And she just seems to be a really cool person in general. Her Twitter feed is full of very entertaining stories and anecdotes of daily life and gardening.
1: When I saw this person's name, Ursula, I just assumed she was dead
0: nope she's still around
1: no one named ursula is alive today
0: counterpoint vernon she also writes under the name of t kingfisher and has written a bunch of she's written a bunch of children's books uh, like the hamster princess series which i haven't actually read and can't comment on the quality of but all of her adult fiction is great she has a thing called the halcyon Theory book that's kind of a is basically she went and collected a bunch of weird fairy tales from various cultures and then presents them with like MST3K style commentary as pointing out the tropes and also pointing out like, wow, that person, that's an interesting reaction to discovering that your daughter is made of birch bark or whatever. My my final piece of evidence I, is I want to give, I want to tell you about her um, acceptance speech when she won the 2017 Hugo Award for Best Novelette. I think that was for... Uh, Was that for The Tomato Thief or Jackalope Wives? It was one of them. Anyway, she writes a lot of really good stuff, so I'm not actually sure which one of them was the one that uh, she won. But I want to read you her acceptance speech, because I think it's really something special. Well, this is an unexpected honor. My fellow winners have said some very meaningful things up here on stage tonight. I want to talk to you about Dead Whales. Whales are not immortal, so when they die, they don't just float there like really big goldfish. I mean, they do for a little bit, and the body sinks down, down, down into the lightness depths. If it happens in the abyssal zone when it dies, the whale will fall a very, very long way. It sinks and sinks, and finally it hits the bottom down in the dark, kicking up sand that may not have moved since our species came down from the trees. And then the scavengers come from miles around. The sharks, the hagfish, the ratfish, and things we don't even have names for because we only see them when a whale dies. And they feed on the dead whale. Deep sea starfish crawl towards it inch by inch to feast on whale flesh. And whales are gigantic. It takes literally years for the hagfish and sharks to strip it to the bone. And then other things come for the bones. There are creatures that spend their whole lives in the water column just waiting for a whale to die. The zombie worm, and yes, we really call them that, emerges and drills into the whale's bones. But only the females, because dating is hard when you're a zombie worm. So if they meet a male in the water column, they swallow him. And you would swear, once you'd swear there's not an ounce of whale left, But still they come from miles around, and tube worms and zombie worms dig into the sand for yards in every direction, seeking the tiniest fragment of whale flesh, and they grow like flowers in this lightless garden down in the cold and the dark. Isn't that cool? Now you're probably asking what whale fall has to do with award ceremonies or science fiction novelettes, and the answer is absolutely nothing. But how often do I get to tell an audience of this size about whale fall? So thanks to my publishers, husband Kevin, and thank y'all. I'm glad you like my story. Y'all have a good night.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Very good. That
0: was her award. And I think just, in addition to the other evidence, she's rad. Ursula Vernon is rad.
2: I I saw a documentary or something about whale fall one time, and it was really cool.
0: It's kind of crazy. Like I looked up a little bit of after reading (laughs) that award ceremony speech, and... (laughs) yeah um, it's kind of
2: nasty but it's really cool <laughs>
0: exa- yeah right you see some footage of it and it's like that's disgusting but also like weirdly surreal just all the things growing on it and waving in the ocean
1: getting back to her DeviantArt page you said she had a deviant art page
0: she does
1: does she do commissions
0: probably let's see it looks like Ursula V is her DeviantArt page it has a lot of oh there we go weird fruit it's a gallery I highly recommend it. It's pretty great. I'm right now looking at a horned lemon, what looks like a Ooh. pepper snail, um, a little kobold fondling an eggplant, and some giant woolly garlics.
2: There's a whole bunch of them.
0: Oh, yeah. She is nothing if not prolific. And I'm kind of depressed, honestly, with the range of artistic medium that she she does stuff in, like... In addition to, like, just the the weird whimsy involved in deciding, you know, I want to draw a picture of cantaloupe melons that are also sandals, they're also, you know, not bad technically, certainly far beyond anything I could muster. They're easily recognizable, and you can tell what the underlying fruit is, even though it's shaped like, I don't know, a hot air balloon or whatever.
2: Yeah, these are, like, really amazing paintings. (laughs)
0: She had a webcomic about a wombat that I guess was good, but I never actually got around to reading. And as I've mentioned, she writes award-winning short stories. And long stories, too, I think. so. Uh,
1: commissions are currently closed.
0: Aw. Disappointing.
1: There goes my idea for my wife's birthday present.
0: <laughs> that would have been a pretty cool <laughs> birthday present. Just a random picture of, like, a fruit with teeth. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, we have time for one more topic. My topic is peering in on skate culture from the outside. So I have been... I I skateboarded when I was like 11 until my skateboard was stolen twice in the same day.
0: What? Was it the same skateboard, or a replacement?
1: It was the same skate... Well, what happened was someone stole it and I knew where he lived. So I followed him home and he left it on the porch and I took it back and then he stole it again and then... Then presumably, he then took it inside instead of leaving it on the porch. Jeez. And like, presumably, I could have talked to my parents and gotten it back that way. Uh-huh. Or even maybe even just like knocked on the door and said, your son is a thief. Um, <laughs> but it didn't occur to me. It didn't occur to me to do either of these things. It was just like, well, that's no longer my skateboard anymore.
0: This is my life now. Yeah.
2: Being a kid's hard, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then I kind of didn't really think about skateboarding again until Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, uh, which is a a very cool video game series that I enjoyed a lot. I got back into that series in a pretty big way a couple of months ago and I played through the whole series. And it's it's very good. It holds up. I've also just like kind of as fallout from that been looking at like skate culture artifacts. So, like, I watched Dogtown and Z-Boys about the, um like, the birth of pool skating and modern pro skating in the 70s in, in LA and surrounding neighborhoods. And, like, that talks about how there was a drought in LA, which means nobody filled their pools. And so, uh, skateboarders would break into people's backyards and skate the pools, which sounds... You know, like, delightful, like, rascal behavior until you realize they're actually, like, physically destroying the concrete. (laughs) That's extremely punk.
2: It it is. It is
1: extremely punk. And, like, that's a good way to summarize skate culture. Like, it is extremely punk. It is people, like, lashing out at the world around them because...
0: Through sick kickflips.
1: They have themselves been, like, treated like shit. yeah. Um, and there was an interview with um, Harmony Korine, uh, who was before he was a filmmaker, was a skateboarder. Uh, he talked about like being drawn to it in in the '90s because it was specifically because it was so violent. The, those kids were always getting in fights, and the skateboard stories, like the like the the Tony Hawk games, they really kind of play up like the iconoclastic, like standing up to authority side of that. But really, what's really happening is that. Skateboarders are like hurting everybody, not just the the authority figures. And I think it's really interesting to see how much of that has changed in the last ten years. I saw uh, on Instagram recently a video of like a like a nine year old girl in a tutu doing a like a double heel flip or something like oh that. My gosh! And there, there's another uh, another girl called Sky Brown, which is the most amazing name. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a pretty good name.
1: Uh, and Sky Brown would have gone to the Olympics this year if they hadn't canceled the Olympics. Wow. And she's like 12. For skateboarding? Yeah.
2: Oh my gosh. Dang.
1: Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Like some really, really impressive stuff. Like it, it really seems to have become much more about the sport, about like physically doing these cool acrobatic stuff, this cool acrobatic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it became much more... Um, like the normative to do for, for both genders to do it. I was into it a little bit when I was younger like <laughs> after playing
2: Tony Hawk's Underground and but like um I don't know, I don't have a very high tolerance for pain which I think is important to becoming good at that kind of thing but my, yeah. my middle brother still does it like he's not, he, he doesn't like participate in the like graffiti culture of it which isn't so much a thing anymore anyway, but, but he, you know, every summer, every weekend,
1: he'll like go to the skate park for a little bit with his friends. Nice. Yeah. That sounds fun. That sounds great. Yeah. Like, and as part of this, like obsession with the, this idea, um, I have like done research, like what would it take for me to skateboard? I, uh, a, um, extremely overweight 40 year old man. And what it would take is, um, massive hospital bills and not being able to, to use my arms while I try to take care of my child. Ah, uh, hmm. so I mean, can can you just get bigger pads? Yeah, I could. I could wear a fat suit,
0: <laughs> or one of those, just one of those inflatable ones. Like, looks like a dinosaur.
1: Yeah, yeah, and skate in a bounce house.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I like where this is going.
1: Yeah, I was actually thinking. I was seeing you play
2: Tony Hawks, and I was like, "How long is it going to be until I see Jim skate into skate into co-working?"
1: It still might happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm counting the days. When I come in the back door, you have to go up a flight of not a flight, but like you have to go up a few stairs to get to the back door. So what would happen is that I would like walk up those stairs, put down the skateboard just to go through the door, and then pick it up again.
0: Or you could grind up the up the railing.
1: Right.
2: I didn't even know there were stairs back there. I only know that ramp, which there's like the ramp and there's like a truck dock, which is basically just an unrailed piece of concrete three feet off the ground. And that's like a perfect like skateboard trick
1: teen place. Yeah, I need to get a friend of mine to drive me in the back of the truck. Yeah. And then I can, they can I can get unloaded onto that uh, concrete dock.
0: Okay, well, step one, which of your friends have trucks?
2: I really want get to get into skateboarding, but I'm... Sk- <laughs> I'm scared of dying and also none of my friends have trucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's been a really long time. I, I have a longboard, but that's very different from skateboarding because like it's, you know, you're not doing
1: anything that will cause you to fall. You can still bomb a hill and and like if you look at skateboard fatalities, they're almost all from hill bombing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a problem, and that happens.
2: Yeah, I, I've thought like, oh, it'd be cool to like try picking up a skateboard again, but I actually think it wouldn't. I think I would just remember that you spend like ninety percent of the time on the ground if you want to learn how to do anything cool. <laughs>
1: right? Yeah.
0: I remember when I was learning to juggle. Somebody explained, "Okay, here, let me show you how this. Let me show you how to learn to juggle." And he took the balls from my hand and dropped them on the floor. He's like, "Pick them up." And I did. It's like, okay, get used to that. You're going to be doing that for a while. (laughs) Um,
2: That's really funny. I tried learning how to hacky sack and I had a similar experience. If if you (laughs) ask my coworkers from two years ago, they'll be like, oh yeah, there's like one week and I was completely (laughs) unsuccessful and then I gave up.
0: And yet watching people who are good at it is so mesmerizing. I know. It looks so fun.
2: But it's not. (laughs)
0: It's lies. It's all that's built on a throne of falsehoods and pain and picking up the stupid ball over and over.
1: Yeah. Is it just fun to be good at anything? I think it's fun
2: to watch someone who's good at anything and imagine yourself being them. Oh, sure.
0: That's, yeah.
2: Like when you pulled out that penny whistle earlier. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, damn, imagine being that good at a penny
0: whistle. That's the problem, of course, is like when you start getting less sucky at anything you start realizing just how hard just how hard it is to be as good as the person that you're listening to that's like is actually good
2: right my my partner's friend hosted an online uh dance class yesterday um because of the plague which should
1: like super date this episode
0: <laughs> oh i hope it does i hope it does
1: it's gonna be entirely cleared up in a month and a half
0: <laughs> I, yeah
1: fair enough um
0: They'll, they'll be reviewing this footage in the archives like 60 years, 600 years later. They'll be like, I wish they'd given a more specific date. That only narrows it down to like the century of the fruit bat. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's funny. Um, but anyway, for, first of all, it was an extremely cool idea and it was very effective and fun. And just because she's a good teacher. But I was just like, wow, this is incredibly hard in ways that I had not imagined. And like all of my joints were like making sounds. That they weren't supposed <laughs> to make, and I was like, I have to clicks, stop. Clicks usually, I, I give it like ten or fifteen minutes before I felt too like self conscious to to keep going. But I was just like, wow, this is super hard, and she makes it look so easy and
0: fun. There is a certain joy of just watching people who are really good at something do the thing they're good at, though. I think you're right. Watching the watching it look so easy and knowing that it's, it's it's probably not actually that easy, but it just make it look so great.
2: Yeah. My favorite version of that is this like street performer on YouTube who does like techno style drums on just everything. I really like nice. That. It makes I'm like wow, that's fun to watch, and I never want to attempt it.
0: There's a group of street performers in New York called Too Many Zoos.
2: Interesting, and
0: they're great. Uh, but they there's three of them. Three zoos. <laughs> three zoos, which is as you probably know, too many. And so one of them one of them has a bugle. One of them has a percussion set that's usually made out of like a bunch of uh, upside down buckets and things. And one of them has a saxophone. And they just make music, but they're all really good at their instruments. And so like I remember the first one I saw of them, I think they only had two of them. They actually may not have had too many zoos that time unless really just you only need one. But the bugle guy was gone. So just sax guy and drum guy just jamming. And, like, in the middle of it, sax guy just starts, like, dancing around and doing a pretty credible dance while still, like, playing the saxophone really well. And, you, just, you know, I'm just watching this like, wow, that looks like so much fun to be, like, good enough to not only make it sound that good, but also have enough concentration left over to be doing all these dance moves and coordinated enough to do so. Like, that looks great. and.
1: Well, yeah, like, at that point, you've learned two skills and are doing them both at once.
0: And that's a showing off at that point. But <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> but still, it's fun to watch. It's like, wow, that's that's so far from what any attempt I would make would look like. And yet, it's still fun to watch. And, and, and like other Chris said, fun to imagine, like, just for a moment. Like, man, that'd be fun to be able to do that.
2: Yeah, just look, watching that video feeling like this honestly is the perfect number of zoos. <laughs>
1: I remember seeing and this was back before YouTube was a thing. So like I this this video was impressive enough that it was just making the rounds in like WMV format. It was as a download, but it was a video of someone playing um, Dance Dance Revolution. They were playing so deep on expert and also juggling three pins at oh the same time. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> just because just why not?
2: I have a follow-up question which is what is a bugle? Is it like
1: a, a conch horn? That's what I thought. <laughs> oh it's it's like a it's a corn chip that's formed in a <laughs> cone. It's kinda of striated around the edge.
0: I might be naming it wrong. It's it, it was, it's a brass horn the thing he had anyway, is a brass horn that's shaped almost like a paper clip, like it's got like a loop and like three finger pumps on the top, like maybe two feet long total. It's the kind of it's the thing that I always imagine like old timey army bases rising to the dawn because someone plays like.
1: Oh hey okay, I just looked this up. A bugle does not have oh, valves. Is
0: it a trumpet? No, I might be a trumpet.
1: Trumpet looks like a paperclip, kind of. I mean, in in the loosest yeah, maybe, sense,
0: it was it's probably a shorter trumpet. A baby
1: trumpet, like a piccolo trumpet. Is that a thing? That's what they call it.
2: Oh, it's so tiny and adorable. Oh my gosh, it's... <laughs> this is incredible. The The shapes of these are all very different. Like, the, whoa, this one's long.
0: No, it doesn't It doesn't have a piccolo trumpet. It looks like it's just a regular trumpet.
2: This is also acceptable. Well, it looks like piccolo trumpet has four buttons, so does that make it one better? Does that make it
1: 33% better than a trumpet?
0: Maybe it just makes it... Thirty-three percent longer than it would be otherwise, which maybe puts it on par with a regular trumpet,
1: and also thirty-three percent higher in pitch. There you go. Well, that's all the time we have here on Topic Lords,
0: and we're out of topics.
1: And we're out of topics. Well, we 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 could have dipped into the extended bucket if we had to, but
0: okay. But we're out of lords. (laughs)
1: That's right. No more lords. Chawl, would you like to introduce yourself? Wait, no, that is not how it goes.
0: We already did that.
1: Uh, If you want people to find you on the internet, where can they find you? Um, I'm
2: at MRChrisLHall on Twitter, um, but I don't really post much there. I just
1: retweet Animal Crossing content for the most part. Oh, maybe I should turn retweets back on. Oh, you can turn those off? Oh, you you can turn retweets off for individuals or as a a whole. I really wish I had known that.
2: (laughs) Although most of the funny stuff I find on there is is retweets anyway, so I probably Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah. Chris, if, uh, if you want people to find you on the internet, where can they find you?
0: Uh, I'll find them.
1: Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed Lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!